And it's always fascinated me as to why it's so significant to us. Why do we attach so many of our feelings and emotions to Christmas at this time of year? If we're being totally honest, the vast majority of us aren't particularly concerned with the gospel message attached to Christmas. So why the obsession? And I think at least partly through a combination of advertising, long-held traditions, certain pieces of imagery, you know the ones, Christmas has gradually worked its way into our minds as this ultimate collective time of celebration and joy. Pretty much everybody gets involved. So wherever life finds you, kind of whether you like it or not, we all end up bringing our emotions to the altar of Christmas, whatever they are, because it's all-encompassing. And for those of us that won't experience joy and celebration at Christmas, you don't really get the chance to opt out of it, do you? Now, it's shoved in your face every time you turn on the TV, every time you walk into a shop, it's there, and you're forced to confront this idyllic version of Christmas, whether you want to or not. And if Christmas isn't idyllic for you, for whatever reason, that void can feel very, very hollow. And perhaps the most common emotion that bubbles to the surface around Christmas time is the theme of some of the songs that the guys were reading. You can see it up behind me, is loneliness. For a good chunk of us, Christmas can feel desperately lonely. You know, and that's perfectly understandable, isn't it? You know, Christmas acts like a time stamp for a lot of us as we recall the way things were when certain, perhaps certain members of our family were still around or we recall Christmases we've enjoyed in the past where there are a few more people around the Christmas dinner table. Or Christmas can be a reminder of family that we wish we had or perhaps a partner we wish we had or a divorce that we wish hadn't happened. You know, there's loads of reasons why we can feel a bit on our own at Christmas time. Um, as part of my job, I have to do something called successions, um, which is basically a fancy way of saying that when somebody has an assured tenancy in Britain and they pass away, that automatically, ordinarily passes to their spouse or their next of kin if they live with them. Um, and it's, it's a pretty straightforward process, just a few bits of paperwork, but majority of the time, I'm meeting up with people that have been recently bereaved. <coughs> Excuse me. And probably 80-90% of the time, it's people that have been married 40, 50, 60 years. I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago um, who just lost his wife. He'd been married for a long, long time. And he just looked at me and said, Joe, I'm dreading Christmas. You know, I've got my kids. They're coming around. They're coming around to decorate everything. They're trying to make it nice for me. But I'm just counting the seconds till it's going to be over because I cannot stand the fact that I've got to go through Christmas without my wife. You know, loneliness in all the folk at Christmas is often the one that pulls on our heartstrings the most, doesn't it? There's so many charities and campaigns that have been set up to try and combat this issue. And it's something that we recognize as being a real problem for so many people. <coughs> There's an online magazine called The Conversation. And they recorded that 17% of British people feel more lonely at Christmas. And it makes a very interesting observation as to why. Um, this is a little excerpt from an, an article they wrote about this issue. It says, loneliness is a subjective emotion. 
where we feel our social relationships are insufficient, particularly when compared to our peers. Christmas, with its images and expectations of gift-giving, socializing, and excess, can often be a time when our own relationships or connections are put under the spotlight. This can lead to feelings of inadequacy if the period doesn't match up to the perceived ideas of what our lives should look like at Christmas. Kind of what stood out to me from that little article was loneliness and isolation aren't necessarily the same thing. Isolation is probably the biggest contributor to loneliness, I would say, but they're not the same thing. Loneliness is a subjective emotion. And we're all familiar with stories of people who are totally isolated, yet completely content. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the film Into the Wild. Um, That's pretty much what that film's about. In a nutshell, a guy who becomes so oppressed by the people around him and the society that he lives in that all he wants to do is disappear into the wilderness and live by himself. On the flip side of that, you know, we're familiar with stories of celebrities who have millions of adoring fans and yet feel totally on their own and totally lonely. Loneliness cuts deeper than just our circumstances, I think. There's a deep longing connected with it. Feeling of meaning and connection that you might have got from a certain person who isn't here anymore or that you might hope to get if you could only find the right person. I've put this sentence in bold so I remember to repeat it. Loneliness is born out of a deep desire for fulfillment through relationship. Loneliness is born out of a deep desire for fulfillment through relationship. And ultimately, I believe this has its roots in our relationship with God. God is, by definition, relational, as we know through our understanding of the Trinity. Right at the very beginning, when Adam walked in the garden, God made his mind up pretty sharpish. It's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. And we get this wonderful description of the relationship between Adam and Eve in in Genesis 2.23. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. But when the serpent brings about the fall and everything changes, God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The relationship has become distorted as a result of their disobedience. And God casts them out of the garden. So sin poisons the harmony that existed between human and human and between human and God. It was horizontal and vertical at the same time. And the coming of sin into the world, in one sense, is the story of a broken relationship. Every human being that has ever existed since has felt something of that longing for what we had when mankind left the garden. In the garden we had love, we had respect, we had significance, enjoyment, the conditional promise of permanence, everything that you could ever want from a relationship. And as a race of people, we've never fully been able to recapture that. So when we feel the sting of loneliness, by definition, it comes with this feeling of longing that things should be a different way. It shouldn't be like this. And I think our approach to Christmas, in some ways, is an attempt to recapture some of that magic. 
Think of some of the phrases that we bandy about at Christmas time. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, joy to the world, families coming together, giving and receiving gifts, enjoying ourselves, being charitable, feed the world, all of that good stuff. We know that that is the way that life should be, instinctively. And as good as Christmas can and will be for a lot of us, unfortunately, no amount of tinsel and mulled wine is going to satisfy our deep desire for a perfect relationship. (coughs) So how can the message of the biblical Christmas help us make more sense of this and bring us some of the joy that we know we need? Well, if we can strip away some of the bump that comes with Christmas and wrap our heads around the historical story, some of which we had read for us, hopefully we can understand that whilst our personal lives might be really hard, we're part of a bigger story. And although we might be lonely in the here and now, one day we will know the true meaning of Emmanuel, God with us. So often we think of the biblical Christmas story quite selectively, don't we? Certain bits of it we like to focus on. We like the wise men, we like the shepherds and angels, we like Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and all of that good stuff. But in reality, if you look at the timeline in a little bit more detail... All these beautiful moments which go on the front of our Christmas cards were quite brief compared to what came after. After the visit of the wise men, as we had read for us from Matthew, after all the joy and wonder, this tiny family become fugitives overnight, pretty much. And they didn't just flee up the road either. They had to go to Egypt. They had to go to another country. This was the extent of power that King Herod could wield to try and find Jesus and kill him. We don't know how long they were there for. No idea. Just told they stayed until Herod died. Could have been a few months. Could have been years. We don't know. And the reality is that the Christmas story, at least in part, is one of loneliness for this family. Small, vulnerable, uprooted, sent to another country. Completely alone and isolated in worldly terms. But before all this kicks off, as we know, we read that Mary was able to store some of the joy and wonder of the Messiah in her heart and ponder on it. And I like to think that when she was on the run alone in Egypt, goodness knows where she was, where they stayed, what they did, these were the thoughts that she comforted herself with. You know, maybe the words of the angel still rang in her ears, Luke 1, 28. The Lord is with you. Whilst the logic of what Mary and Joseph and the family were going through surely must have baffled her a little bit, we know she understood the significance of what she was part of. She says, all generations will call me blessed. She understood her calling. And no doubt this gave her the strength to endure what she had to go through. She had the ability to look beyond the importance of her own circumstances to God's grand plan of salvation. Another lady who really felt the sting of loneliness was Anna, which was also read for us. Her husband died after seven years of marriage, and she had to soldier on alone until she was 84. Now, 84 is a pretty grand old age today. Um, But in the first century, I think the life expectancy was about 35. So 84 was a pretty decent innings by their standards. 
And she's likely spent a good chunk of those years as a widow. Someone else who perhaps had the right to say, you know, God, why have you done this to me? You know, what's the plan here? She spent years in the temple fasting and praying day and night. You know, there's almost this air of desperation about her. We don't exactly know what she was fasting and praying for. We presume it was for a chance to see Jesus. But she's kept at it on her own till the age of 84. Years and years of silence, alone, widowed. But she would not let personal circumstance dent her faith. And she understood her role in what was happening. She was concerned with the redemption of Jerusalem, with the redemption of the people, the coming of the Messiah. And in the end, she experienced the joy of seeing him. And I'm sure in that moment, all those years of being on her own would have felt worth it. And I'm sure if you could have asked her, she'd say, I'd do it all again. The coming of the Messiah gave her the fulfillment that she needed. She had ached for this moment. And in that moment, she understood her part in the redemption of the people. See, Anna had to wait a long, long time to hear from God. But the nation as a whole hadn't heard anything from God prior to this time for hundreds of years. Sometimes called the silent years. This period between the Old and New Testaments when the people didn't hear anything from God. And in that time, they've undergone occupation by the Greeks and they've undergone occupation by the Romans. The people collectively must have felt on their own and lonely. And so when Jesus arrives and he's given the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, they get a timely reminder that although God might be silent for long periods of time, he is not absent and he's not left them. If you flip back to Isaiah chapter 7, where Matthew quotes from when he talks about Emmanuel, you see a guy called King Ahaz, who was similarly very worried that he was on his own. Other nations were forming alliances and ganging up on God's people, and he felt he had nowhere to turn. And God says to him, a virgin birth will be a sign to you that I am with you. This is a big chunk of the meaning of Christmas. Anna, Mary, Joseph, Ahaz, the people in general, they all had to wait and go through long periods of loneliness. They were all forced to ponder whether God cared or not. But in the darkness, their faith was proved genuine. John Piper, as he so often does, has a great quote about this from an article that he wrote entitled, When God Seems Silent. It says, if our faith is based on lack of struggle and affliction and absence of doubts and questions, that is a foundation of sand. Token faith will not survive the dark night of the soul. When we think God is silent or absent, God may show us that our faith is false or superficial. And upon its ruin, we can learn to rebuild on God our rock, the only foundation that can bear the weight of our trust. God may be silent at times in our lives and this may make him seem absent. But Emmanuel means that factually speaking, we're never alone despite what we might feel. I'd encourage you today if you're struggling to cling to this because it can help us look beyond our present circumstances.
I'm sure some of you must be thinking at this point, um, yeah, that's all well and good, but it doesn't, doesn't really help me in the here and now. You know, it, it seems a bit trite, doesn't it? To say to someone who's lonely and struggling, oh, it's all right, because Jesus is with you. you know, it'll be fine in the end. His words aren't a magic spell to make us feel better. <coughs> the reality is, you can be the most devout Christian and still feel crippling loneliness. And I'd be doing you a huge disservice if I were to stand here like some self-help guru and tell you I've got the answers to your problems, because I haven't. You know, some of the articles I read on this issue had loads of suggestions as to how you can combat loneliness. Keep a diary, do regular exercise, do something with your hands, build something, craft something, keep structure and order and routine in your life. You know, all very useful, I'm not knocking it, but it does feel a bit like treating the symptoms rather than the disease itself. And that's because sometimes simply the damage cannot be undone. Don't know if any, anybody saw the Channel 4 documentary um, that followed a couple of, of elderly folk who were on their own at Christmas. And they interviewed dear old Margaret. I don't know if anybody saw that. And the interviewer was talking to her and said, what would you like to happen to make your life a little less lonely? She thought about it for a long time, probably 30, 40 seconds of just dead silence, and she looked at this lady with tears in her eyes, and she said, nothing. Nothing can bring back my husband. And the reality is the world can be cruel. We don't always feel comforted when we need it. We sometimes pray and hope for things we don't get. There's no answer that I can give you this side of glory that will help make sense of it. And Mary got told that she was highly favored and would bear the Son of God, and in the blink of an eye, she was a refugee. Now, how do you make sense of that? In and of ourselves, we cannot change our fate. And despite what the media would have you believe, we're not in as much control as we think we are. You know, we can't all manifest our destiny. You know, and like with Mary, in the click of a finger, our lives can turn upside down. And we don't always have the power to put it right again. And even Jesus himself wasn't immune from this. And his life was mapped out and predetermined from beginning to end. Sometimes even against his wishes. And in John 5.30 he says, By myself I can do nothing. He had no choice in the matter to some degree. And boy did Jesus know what it was to be lonely. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was rejected in his own town. He was a vagabond a small, with a small band of disciples, who, most of whom abandoned him when he needed them most. But rather than Jesus' loneliness being tragic or upsetting, it was totally necessary. For he alone was worthy to walk the road to bring us back to God and restore the relationship that was broken. The Apostle Peter in one of the Gospels very brazenly tells Jesus that he's willing to follow him to death if necessary. And he denies him and runs off about five minutes later. But Jesus was predestined to walk the road to the cross completely on his own. Because he was the only one worthy to hang on the cross and suffer the ultimate abandonment, the ultimate loneliness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we could be brought near. 
That's the only thing we can hang on to with any certainty. It may not solve our issues in the here and now, but it's the only thing that will one day satisfy our craving for a fulfilling relationship. Promise of a new heaven and a new earth with perfect relationships. And that has to be good news to us. It has to be wherever we find ourselves this Christmas. Now, if you're sat there staring down the barrel of a Christmas on your own, and you're dreading it, or you're struggling with loss or family issues, please come and talk to us about it, either myself or Ash, or, you know, we'd love to, to speak to you, and at the very least, pray with you. Um, despite what I said before, you know, we do believe prayer is powerful and can change things. And I truly hope and pray that you find some peace, whatever it is you're going through. But know that your loneliness and heartache is an indication that life wasn't supposed to be like this. If you're faced with people enjoying themselves this Christmas and you find it reminding you of what you haven't got, one day there will be equality in the joy of heaven. We will all have an equal share. But Jesus will be exalted because he was the only one worthy to end our loneliness. And if you're looking forward to a full-blown family Christmas with all the trimmings, loads of fun and excitement, loads of people around the Christmas dinner table, I hope it goes wonderful. I hope you have an amazing time. You know, perhaps take a minute to pause and think. Thank you, God, for this little taste of heaven on earth. But keep in mind, it's only the hors d'oeuvre. The main course is still to come. One day at the wedding feast of the lamb, those Brussels sprouts are going to taste that little bit sweeter. To be honest, if I get up there and they're serving Brussels sprouts... I won't have the capacity to feel disappointment, so the chefs are going to have to do something amazing with them. Um, Christmas is just a sampler for all the joy and community we are going to experience with God one day around his dinner table. But only because Jesus first had to bear the ultimate loneliness on our behalf.